Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today I have something really important for you because it is breastfeeding and it's a little bit beyond breastfeeding as well. So this is going to be a very interesting show. There has been so much controversy, so much confusion about sleep and safe sleep and how it relates to breastfeeding. And today I have with me absolutely an expert. She not only knows her stuff, but she is able to relate it to you in a way that I think will be hugely helpful in helping you to sort through what's fact and what's fiction. My guest today is Dr. Stacy Scott. Dr. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, Dr. Scott has quite a bio here. She is the founder of the Global Infant Safe Sleep Center, that is the GISS, and she has designed and implemented programs impacting underserved communities in the area's health disparities, prevention, and delivery of service for more than 30 years. She serves as a national health advocate and consultant, working to reduce infant mortality in the infant in the American, uh, excuse me, African American community and other disadvantaged groups by empowering communities. Now, in 2016, Dr. Scott established the Global Infant Safe Sleep Center, an organization with a mission to empower the world's communities to achieve equity in infant survival. I could tell you so much more about. Dr. Scott, because she really has a very impressive history here, Uh, but I will just end by saying that she serves as, because I think you'll probably want to hear from her, not from me, Uh, Dr. Scott serves as the State of Ohio spokesperson for their ABC of Safe Sleep campaign website, and she works with the Baby First Network, serving in the capacity of program manager, facilitating a series of community forums and implementing a community-based mini-grant program designed to fund outreach activities and promoting safe sleep recommendations. So, Dr. Scott, this has, as as long as I have been a nurse, it seems to me that there's lots of confusion, lots of controversy, and I would say that at least for me, it started even earlier than I became a nurse because in 1940, my mother wanted to put the baby under the covers with her in the hospital, and the nurse came along and told her she could not do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and by the way, audience, Dr. Scott is not old enough to remember <laughs> to remember 1940, okay? But nonetheless, uh, it would be really interesting if you could tell us a little bit about the history of safe sleep, especially as it relates to breastfeeding. Well, actually, it started out um, in 1994 as the Back to Sleep campaign. Um, and that campaign at that particular time uh, the recommendations were to put babies on their backs or side. Right. Um, and then in 1996, 
um, with the Academy of Pediatrics and their task force, they actually did redirect that and said, took away the side sleep and then recommendation for back sleep only. So that's kind of where it brings us today. And in 2010, um, the campaign went beyond just back sleeping and really began to look at safe sleep as a message because of the number of accidental deaths that were going on that we were seeing happening, that we really began to look at a safe sleep environment, which also incorporated back sleeping. Yes, and this is really interesting to me because I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it was the March of Dimes that started the Back to Sleep campaign, right? No, actually, it was no? the, no, it was actually the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National oh, wow. of Child Health and Human Development, also known as NICHD, and it was not them alone. I mean, they were a lead. There were several partners, um, and I, I Give me to try to name them all, but there were several partners who actually got together and when they began to roll out the Back to Sleep campaign. I'm not exactly sure if March of Dimes was part of that, but um, I know from the federal agencies, there were several organizations. And um, at that time, I believe the National Sids Alliance, there was the Association of um, uh, I believe it was uh, what they referred to it as ASIP, which were professionals who worked in the um, arena around infant mortality. But uh-huh. yeah, that's how it actually got started. Well, you know, the difficulty that I ran into right away, at that time I was working as a clinical nurse specialist and I was trying to teach the staff that this was the new recommendation and I got a lot of pushback. I was like, you know, why should we be doing this? Babies sleep better on their bellies. And so the staff didn't really get it. Certainly the parents didn't get it. And how do you, and I'm probably ahead of you here, but uh, how do you explain it to people when they insist that the baby sleeps better on his belly? How do you explain that? Well, tell me, it's not an easy task. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, you know, really, and it's kind of hard to visualize, but if we we look at anatomy and really looking at a baby laying on its back versus his stomach, and and the way I explain it, especially because I do a lot of work in the community, we do a lot of outreach and education around grandparents, particularly grandmothers, oh, right. who, who who can be a tough group if, if they have not really heard about that. And so right. we right. really talk about looking at the anatomy and, you know, we can get technical, the esophagus versus the trachea, or it depends on who your audience is, you can talk about the windpipe versus the food pipe and talk about the fact that if a baby is laying on his stomach, you would see that the windpipe um, is actually on the bottom versus the food pipe, which, or uh, again, esophagus is on the top. And so when you see babies laying on their stomachs um, and babies have vomit, we can see easily how vomit can pool in um, that windpipe area. And actually see babies can choke on their own vomit laying that that way versus Mm -hmm. babies laying on their back, which is the opposite. And when you see a baby laying on his back, 
his head is usually either laying from the left to the right. And if that baby does vomit, that vomit rolls out the side of his mouth, you know. Correct. And so yes. it's really, it's, it's amazing because it's really completely opposite of what we have been trained or taught right. over right. the years because we think that if the baby is laying on their back that they will choke on their vomit. But if you look at it the other way around and look at just the rule of thumb around gravity is completely different. That is the best explanation I have ever heard. Because, <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank well, you know, I'm, I'm sort of trying to visualize this as you're talking, and I'm thinking, yes, this makes so much sense. And you're right. Parents, I would tend to use food pipe versus wind pipe, but, but uh, uh, trachea versus esophagus, whatever you want to call it. But the principle is very well stated there. So do you know what it was? How did we get from the belly or side to, uh-uh, just the back, never mind the side? How did they decide to cut out the side part? Is that the same rationale? Well, I think what it was is because back sleeping really had began, you know, about 10 or 15 years, uh, if not longer, in countries, European countries. And they saw this significant decrease in SIDS by this practice. Now, I don't know how that got started, but I know that that had gone on before we here in the United States embraced it. And so when they looked at that and saw the decrease in deaths, then, of course, you know, America said, well, maybe there's something really to this. However, However, I'm not quite sure. So when the original campaign started, it was back and side because people weren't quite comfortable of saying just back only. But what we began to see by babies laying on their sides, it's very easy that they can roll over. Yes, yes, yeah. So finally, again, the powers of B got together and said, okay, it's enough evidence that we can say back only. And so that's where you see in that 1996 where that shift kind of went into the campaign. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I got to tell you, I was the first one to be like, okay, forget this. They've just told me back or side, so I'm doing side. As long as I can get away with that, I'm good. Because I really didn't buy that whole back to sleep thing. And uh, the other piece that I was not aware of, and I remember very distinctly, some nurse said to me, yeah, yeah, about this study. I want to see that study replicated and replicated and replicated. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, that only fueled my own hesitancy because I'm like, well, yeah, you know, where did this come? And, you know, quite honestly, I just I I read a lot of studies, but I can't live in the library. So can I assume from what you just said about the Europeans that, in fact, these studies were replicated and replicated and replicated? And probably we Americans were either the last or one of the last ones to jump on board. Well, I, you know, I, from my personal understanding, yes, um, uh-huh. um, um, that I think, of course, they were tried and tested and continue to be um, even now. Um, so, yeah, I, I could say yes to that. Yeah. And I have read I, I know I'm going off script here a little bit, but I have read that the amount of deaths actually have decreased since the 1994 initiation, uh, since the initiation of that campaign in 1994. Is that a true statement? Yes, it is. Um, Based on um, some school of thought and report, it's almost 60 percent. 
that we have seen in Uh. decrease in these deaths. However, we have seen a a, a slight shift. It doesn't equal now. I want to make that clear that we have seen other sleep-related deaths increase. So, but we have still seen it as a much greater decrease um, in these SIDS deaths. And, And one of the things that we have seen is that we believe a lot of SIDS deaths over the years might have been misdiagnosed. Oh, um, yes. Uh-huh. And so as a result, one once we got a little bit more savvy in our investigation, sure. death scene investigation and things of that nature, a lot of deaths that might have been normally considered a SIDS death were now considered anything from accidental suffocation or, or asphyxia. But again... The margin does not equal, so we definitely know um, that it's a significant decrease since embracing the back to sleep campaign. And the back to sleep, yes. That 60% number definitely has my attention, and I know that it has our audience's attention, and I know that everybody will be interested in coming back when, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about SIDS, S-U-I-D, and some of the infant safe sleep practices. So everybody, do not go away. This is a hugely interesting show. I'm already hooked with everything that Dr. Stacy Scott has said. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I'm here today with Dr. Stacy Scott as we talk about safe sleep practices. Dr. Scott, before we got to the end of that segment, we talked a little bit, and you mentioned the word SIDS, and I distinctly remember one time when the AAP came out with that uh, statement some years ago, and I would call my mother, and she would say, "What happened today in your world?" And I talked about SIDS, and she said, "SIDS? What's SIDS?" Now you got to remember, my mother was old, but I tried to explain it to her, and finally she said, "Oh, crib death. Well, why didn't you say so?" So of course, in the early days, uh, at least in my mother's day, we called it SIDS, or excuse me, called it crib death. Then in my day, we called it SIDS, and it seems to me like the new language is S-U-I-D. So can you differentiate for us what is, what is SIDS and what is S-U-I-D and how, do they, how, do, how are they different? Well, the way it works is if you talk about S-U-I-D, which is sudden unexpected infant death, it is actually, if you would think of it this way, as the umbrella of a death of an infant who dies suddenly and unexpectedly under the age of one, one years of age. Um, and so there is a lot of different components under sudden unexpected infant death that can include such things as suffocation or asphyxia or, um, overlaying or accidental death. Um, and those are, 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 are that umbrella term. And under sudden unexpected infant death, SIDS is also a subset of that, too. Got so um, probably the last 10 or 15 years, the sudden unexpected infant death, um, it kind of became the mainstay of the diagnosis. You might be in a state that if a baby dies suddenly and unexpectedly, on the death certificate, you might see it listed as a suet death, again, sudden unexpected infant death, and then maybe the subset cause could be SIDS or asphyxia or suffocation. Okay. And, and, and what, it, what really it kind of worked to do was not necessarily have SIDS to be the catch-all term because okay. in, in many cases... That's what happened. Sure. SIDS was the catch. You know, a baby dies suddenly, unexpectedly. It was a SIDS death. And right. in that case, it was not. It was really, it could be another cause besides that. So if you talk about how do you diagnose that, there are three things that should happen. There should be a death scene investigation. There should be, um, again, looking at 
the uh, review of the clinical history and there should be an autopsy. Okay. okay. And so you define both SIDS and SUID under the same way. However, if it's a sudden unexpected infant death, it could be other causes besides SIDS. If it's a quote-unquote a true SIDS death, if that is such a thing, then we just know that they have, it's actually a diagnosis of exclusion. So after you have excluded any other cause of death and you cannot find one, then it could be diagnosed as a SIDS death. And let me say this, it is very subjective. It depends on the medical examiner and the investigator on okay. exactly how those diagnoses are, are done. But that really makes a lot of sense with what you said in the first segment, where you were saying that, yes, uh, the, re- the SIDS has been reduced, but we have also seen an increase in other causes. So this aligns with what you're saying now. And it also tells me that we've gotten a lot more savvy about differentiating between those. But the truth of the matter is that at the end of the day, we've got the baby, we've got the baby that needs to sleep. So tell us about the safe sleep practices, because you said it's more than just baby on his back. It is also the environment. So what do you see as a safe sleep practice? How does this work? Well, basically, um, again, from the Academy of Pediatrics, every five years they come out with recommendations. Um, they do. Pretty much, yeah. pretty much standard. And, of course, the standards ones are use a safety-approved crib, with a firm mattress, with a tight-fitting sheet. Um, Don't share bed or couch um, with your baby. Make sure they're in their own safe sleep, um, basically separate sleep space. Um, Keep all soft bedding out of the baby's crib, and that includes loose bedding, um, stuffed animals, bumper pads. Um, Don't overheat the baby. Pregnant women should receive regular prenatal care. Of course, do not smoke during pregnancy or avoid exposure to secondhand smoke. Uh, breastfeeding is truly recommended. Um, use of pacifier at nap and nighttime, that is only after breastfeeding has been established. Amen. And do not use commercial devices that are marketed to reduce sins because as far as I know and you know, everybody who I know that work in this field, there's nothing on the market that you can purchase that can reduce the uh, risk of a SIDS death. Well, I got to tell you, this is the best part of the show here. Because well, Maybe not, <laughs> maybe not. But for me, that tells me when there is no evidence and parents are spending money on that stuff, you're telling me it may or may not work. You might better do these safe sleep practices. You're better off. Yes. 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 Okay. All right. So here's the other thing. You and I have both lived long enough to know that we can tell parents all of this stuff. But the truth of the matter is when parents go home, in my case, I've been very hospital based. So I think when they go home from the hospital, but wherever they're going home from, parents are going to do what they want to do. So how do you either help the parent to buy into these safe sleep practices from the beginning, or how do you reach them later to help them understand the implications that this can have? You know, this sounds to me like you've got to give a really pretty persuasive argument. So how do you handle it? 
Well, I mean, for for me and in my profession, my line that I know, that community is the key. And so we, you know, my, my, my statement is it takes a village to raise a child, mm. but it also takes a village to save one. And oh, so, And so, of course, it begins from the time that uh, the woman, the mother conceives going through prenatal care um, and, and, and hearing this message over and over again. So we work very hard to make sure, be it during the medical profession, through home visiting programs, through uh, grandmother, through faith-based, through everyone that can deliver this message and understand what it takes to keep an infant safe. Um, you know, with the Global Infant Safe Sleep Center and what we work, we have two campaigns, one targeting dads, one targeting grandparents, grandmothers particularly, uh, because they are very crucial in helping um, in making sure the mom is okay and the baby is okay as well. And you are absolutely right. You can give people all the information in the world and even people have the best intentions. But when you have a newborn and that baby's crying and you're right. trying to breastfeed, right. you know, you are going to bring that baby to bed with you. And we and we understand that. And I think in the last four or five years with the new recommendations, people have finally began to realize that um, and, and looking at these messages. And so you see a big move now moving from campaign to conversation that it's more than just handing somebody a brochure it's more than just asking somebody um, you know put your baby on their back to sleep it's really to feel and and understand you might work with a parent who doesn't even have a crib so how do you handle that or there might be some other issues that come in play so we really want to be able to empower the parent um to make the best decision based on where they are in life and in parenting. And the last thing you want to do is to make a parent feel guilty because maybe they cannot afford a crib. Right. I've I've talked to a few people who were, I was, you know, the the, the home visitor said to me, it's not that we can't give them a crib. They have no room to put a crib. Put it in. Right. They have so many family members living in one home. So, you know, it's how do you deal with that and, and, and deal with people where they are? And so I think that is uh, crucial in helping to get the word out and help people to understand what we are actually even talking about, that whole concept uh, of safe sleep. I want to capitalize just a moment on the bit about the grandmother because as you know, if the grandmother believes something like, oh, it's okay, it, some some grandmothers even that it's best to put the baby on the, the tummy, then you can bet that they are very influential with the mother. I can tell you that in my own life, if I had ever come home and told my mother that I was going to formula feed, I think I would have been excommunicated from the family. You know, I was like, you just don't do that. <laughs> so it, it could be the mother that's very influential or, uh, well, the grandmother, I guess, or the father or the best friend or the whoever. But I do believe that you are on target when you say, that we really have to differentiate uh, between 
the giving of information. We give somebody a pamphlet. We check off something that we asked her on the box, uh, check the box, you know, are you going to do this or that, or are you not going to do this or that? But it really has to be an ongoing message. It has to be lots of little consistent messages that are easily digestible and uh that's the one thing that I've seen over the years, and it probably doesn't matter whether it's this topic or something else. Uh, but hey, everybody, look, at, do not go away, because when we come back, I'm going to ask Dr. Scott to talk with us about co-sharing, co-bedding, and room sharing and bed sharing. I think I might have said that all a little bit uh, <laughs> in the wrong direction. But anyway, those things are different. It's really important that you understand the difference between them. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. And I'm here today with Dr. Stacy Scott. And we're talking about uh, safe sleep practices. So, Dr. Scott, some of these terms all kind of land in the same sentence, but they're really all different. Talk to us about co-sharing, bed sharing, and room sharing. Okay. And and we say actually it's co-sleeping and you know we kind of oh, it gets right. all it gets all so I mean <laughs> that's fine. It's it's all words. So um but basically a lot of times you will hear people when they're doing the interviews and they talk about they say, "Well, are you, you know, co-sleeping your baby?" Okay? And so co-sleeping first thing for me when that pops in your mind, mind is that, "Oh, are you bringing the bed baby to bed with you, right? But really, it's almost like that suet thing. Cold sleeping is really the umbrella of either bed sharing or room sharing. So if you're asking a person a question, if I say to you, are you cold sleeping your baby? Then the response should be, well, I'm yes, I am bed sharing or yes, I am room sharing. Okay, and so if you think about it, when you talk about room sharing, that is having the crib in the room with you. You can have that crib right next to your bed. Um, You can, you know, hands, arms length. But when you're talking about bed sharing, that is bringing a baby to bed with you in In the the bed. Right. So so I, I just try to get people straight because... I mean, we all do it, and when you hear that co-sleeping, you think that, but co-sleeping really describes either or bed sharing or room sharing. Years ago, uh, lucky for me, I spent many years working with the great Dr. Ruth Lawrence, and she made another distinction. She said, just remember, all of those things are a little bit different than the family bed. So... And by that, she meant the father is in the bed or some other adult is in the bed. What do we know about that? Yes, that is, um, that could be a problem, you know, and I have to agree. I know I hear a lot of my breastfeeding colleagues who talk about the heightened sensitivity of a mom who is breastfeeding and they bring the baby to bed with them. And, you know, and, and that kind of alarm system that goes off in your head that the baby's in the bed. But the issue becomes, um, a, you know, a little bit more, uh, I, I, I guess you, you could say, if you're looking at another person being in the bed with you, they might not have that sensitivity that the mom has. Okay? Right. I, I, and, and, you know, and I mean, I've worked with Child Fatality Review, and we've seen cases where even moms are in the bed with their babies, and we see other siblings get in the right. bed with, with right. them. You know, we had a case where a two-year-old got in the bed with the mom and the newborn that came in from work and saw the two-year-old's leg over the baby's 
face the baby was oh naked. oh dear oh dear and so you know oh. again that kind of you always see those those issues we we've worked hard and done some outreach and if you think about homeless shelters for women or better women's shelters when women come in with right. babies at night and they don't have cribs there in right, the shelter, right. and they have to bring the babies with them. They might be on a twin bed or whatever. And so, we've looked in working to be able to donate pack and plays to shelters for just that reason. If the mother has to sleep in the bed with their older siblings, and then she has a newborn baby, so oh, that is some of the some of the things that we see when you talk about a family bed um, that could just increase the risk. Uh, that was my question right there. Right. Is it fair to say that it will increase the risk? It can increase the risk, yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, holy, wow. So talk to us a little bit about how breastfeeding plays a role in reducing SIDS and sudden unexpected infant deaths, that is, SUDIs. Well, first of all and foremost, you know, you can't get better as far as nutrition when it comes to breastfeeding, Absolutely. you know, and using breast milk. <laughs> right. That's so, just what it is. <laughs> that's it. Hey, that it, it is what it is, and I, I recognize that. And I, I have to be very honest. I am not the most uh, expert in breastfeeding, but I do know that um, that is one big piece that we see. And and because of that, and, and, and the other thing, and this is, this is again, not very... Um, probably medical based, but what we know and what I talk to mothers about that breastfeed, when you use formula, it can be extremely heavy. And and babies go into a far deeper sleep with that, you know, and and they wake up less, you know what I mean? So that whole cycle, and, and we don't know what causes SIDS, but we do know that it's a brain stem abnormality that for whatever reason, does not trigger this baby in taking its next breath, okay? And although it's not, even though we kind of think of it as a baby sleeping and they're dying through their sleep, I mean, there are cases that that's not the case, but we see more, you know, deaths from my observation of babies who are sleeping. And as a result of that, the concern is if they go into that deep of a sleep, um, and they have this abnormality that we cannot tell in babies why they are alive, but only after they pass away that you can able to see that abnormality in that brain stem. Then we just don't want to take a chance of a child going into that deeper sleep. So by putting them on their stomachs, feeding them formula, these are all kind of things that can elevate the risk of this baby not taking his next breath. So... All of the benefits of breast milk um, and can also allowing the baby not to go in that deep of a sleep can be very beneficial a long run all the way around, but also really can work to reduce the risk of SIDS. That is fantastic. Uh, I just want to emphasize to the audience Dr. Scott is not in any way saying that formula equals. some sort of uh, infant death 
situation. She's not saying that at all. No, not at all. <laughs> we, this is not a cause and effect thing here. So just make <laughs> sure you understand. She's saying that there is a correlation, that there is an increased risk. And so if, if you've given your baby some formula I, and you're listening to this, I don't want you to freak out and think that, you know, some horrific thing is therefore going to befall him because that's just not the case. It's not, it's not cause and effect. But anyway, so Dr. Scott, how about this? If you have a baby in what I would consider to be an optimal situation, the baby is breastfed, the mother does not smoke, she does not have alcohol on board, the baby is on his back, he's on his, a, uh, 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 I don't want to say a hard, but a firm surface, the sheets are tight, all of those good things, okay? So if all of those good things are happening, is it correct to say, and the baby is breastfed, okay? and the baby is breastfed, does that therefore mean that we have numbers that show that that decreases the baby's risk for uh, SIDS, even if even if he is in the bed? Uh, yes, it does. Okay. Um, it, 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 those are all steps. And then you notice I say risk reduction, and I, I right. think I, I'd like to be able to say that too to the listeners, because we do have a case that everybody does everything 100% yep. right, right. In these, based yep. on these recommendations, and the deaths do occur. So that's why the, we don't say this is the way that you can prevent SIDS. No. I, I, I tell all the people I educate, don't use prevention and SIDS in no. the same sentence. No. Okay. No. And I know a lot of people say, oh, this is SIDS prevention. No, it is SIDS risk reduction. Reduction. Because, yes. again, you know, uh, you, it, until we find the real cause of what has happened um, that causes these babies, again, not to take that next breath, we, we just don't know. But we do know that these are just some steps that you can take that can reduce the risk of it. <laughs> so then what do we know? Uh, is this a correct statement or not? Because I truly don't know. I, I used to know this literature a little bit better than I do now, but is it true that if a baby is in the crib, he might possibly be more at risk for SIDS than if he is with his mother? Is there any truth to that? No. Matter of fact, from okay. a, from a, from a pu- national public health message, okay, that the message is that a, the safest place for a baby to sleep is, is in a safety-approved crib. Again, on a firm mattress, tight-fitted sheets with nothing in it. Okay. So, um, you know, so that that is truly the message, again, from a public health, because, you know, we think take into consideration all of the other things that go along with that. But, yes, um, the statement is that a baby is the safest in a crib. That, again, is safety approved. So like, that doesn't mean that a crib that's been passed down from generation to generation because right. unfortunately, some of those cribs might not be what we consider safety approved. I always tell my parents that um, when we work with or grandparents, if you can take uh, um, soda can or pop or drink, depends on what part of the region of the country you're from, and right. turn it sideways and stick it through um, the slats, it is not a safety approved crib. Oh, that's a good trick. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep, that is uh, right. Th- then that tells you about the slats. So, 
this is probably, oh yeah, this is a bigger question than what we have time for. So hey, everybody, don't go away. We're going to go out just a little bit early here, but we're going to come back and I've got a couple of other wind-up questions for Dr. Scott before we uh, close out the show. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here with Dr. Stacy Scott. So, Dr. Scott, we talked about 
women breastfeeding in bed, how most women actually like and want to breastfeed in bed. But we haven't talked about the possibility of the mother falling asleep in the bed. And at least in my world, this is a gigantic question because the truth of the matter is, yeah, they relax. They got some prolactin on board. Baby's happy. They're happy. The lights are out, you know. So, uh, yeah, what do we do about this? Well, you know, really... Yeah, I, I, we hear this question, and I have a very good friend who who is a breastfeeding, you know, I mean, guru. And so, you know, basically what we say to moms, if you fall asleep and you wake up and you realize that you've done that, you know, check the baby, make sure the baby's okay, and put them in their own safe sleep area. So just basically if you have that crib right next to you, then just say, okay, I, you know, I've, I've woken up. And then she also gave a wonderful uh, hint, uh, well, I guess a tip that I heard her telling somebody that everybody has smartphones nowadays. Right. You know, right. And she said, recommended that you put it on an alarm on vibrate and put it under your pillow. And so after you, you fall asleep and the alarm vibrates and wakes you up to remember that you then put the baby back in their own safe sleep space. And this is where the dads are very, very crucial because we really don't educate men probably the way we should in around this whole safe sleep and whatever. And so in the education that we do with the fathers that we work with is that we ask them to keep a watchful eye that when the mother does fall asleep and they happen to be awake, that they take the baby and put them back in their own crib um, just as a mechanism. So, again, you know, I don't want women to feel guilty or feel like they've done something wrong because they've fallen asleep. That's just natural. It just happens, right. It just (laughs) happens. But just recognize that and when you wake up and, you know, if you kind of catch yourself or whatever, that you would then just take the baby and put them in the crib that we would hope that's in your room right next to your bed. I want to just offer uh, uh, a little chime in here about the setting the alarm, and I'll tell you why. If you have a baby who is nursing well, now I'm not talking about in those first couple of days when babies still don't have the hang of it, all right, but if you have got a baby who uh, has established breastfeeding, you've got your milk in, the baby generally gets on does what I what I call self service. Okay, he he knows what he's doing. <laughs> generally, all right. Generally, and research has shown this more than once. And uh, boy, I don't even know in this. I, I would say probably as we knew this as uh, as much as the '80s, and I've seen it a million times myself. Most babies will get out most of the milk within ten minutes. Okay. So. Will they get a few more slurps after that? Absolutely. But if they are a if they are a robust, healthy newborn, and we're talking here a full-term newborn who has got breastfeeding well-established, most of that is going to be done in the first 10 minutes. So that's just a guideline. So, Dr. Uh, Scott, what would you say about uh, the SIDS, the SIDS, and the SUIDs uh, impact of communities on, of color? How does that work? Oh, well... <laughs> When we look at the disparity within communities of color, for every one a baby, white baby that dies, 
there are two African American babies that Whoa. died, and wow. three American to Ala uh, American and Alaska Native babies that die. Uh, uh. So we do know that we're seeing a two, you know, one to two and to one to three ratio when it comes to um, babies of color being that wow. of African American and American Indian and Alaska Native. What is being done to address these disparities? Because that's pretty scary. Well, you know, I have to say that, you know, over the years, there has been a lot of attention paid. Um, even the Eunice Kennedy Schreiber National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. I mean, there are, they are, they are brochures. There's a big national partnership that's actually going on now. Um, with NICHD and Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity, which is a predominantly African-American male fraternity who has joined in partnership um, in working to educate other men about the impact of SIDS and infant mortality and what roles they can do in delivering the messages and helping to reduce these numbers that we're talking about. There is just a, a lot of community uh, base-driven um, organizations and projects across the United States that are working to address that. Um, and again, you, there, there's just the research that shows that it's not necessarily the race that impacts um, what we see, this infant mortality, but really racism and the effects of racism that contribute really? to, yes, contribute to okay. the poor birth outcomes and an inequity that we see in infant survival in this country. That is very, very unsettling. Before we close out the show today, can you quickly give us maybe your top three or four recommendations for resources that everybody can find fairly easily, no matter where on the globe they are, and even if they're at home and they can't necessarily get person-to-person uh, -person help, uh, can you give us some recommendations for things that people can read or in any way uh, get tips or persuasive arguments for why do, why we need to do this right. What can you suggest? Well, I definitely think the top resource, as I've mentioned before, is um, NICHD, and yep. you know, that's the National Institute of Child Health okay. and Human Development, and I believe that is just, you could probably put in www.nichd.gov, uh -huh. or if yep. you just put it in that search, you can pick that up. It's a great resource. They have interactive things on there, talks about what a safe sleep environment looks like. Of course, if you want more of a, a medical and clinical information, I would go to the Academy of Pediatrics webpage um, and type in um, SIDS or SUIT. Um, they can come up with the recommendations. I think the last ones they made were in 2015. It tells you what they are and why they um, decided to select those recommendations. There's a lot of um, other material from a yes. research standpoint. Mm -hmm. Excuse then, me, um, not to contradict you, but I think it was 2017. So try that first, and if not, uh, go to the, the 15. But any of that is good. Yeah, okay, that's two really good ones. And, and next? And then, yeah, and then I would just encourage your local um, your local health departments and your state mm -hmm health departments, that whatever state that you're living in, and in most cases, that there are 
um, the public health entities are looking at infant mortality. Um, so there's probably infant mortality coalitions or other things of that nature that you would go to your local health departments or state health departments and see the resources they have available within your state, within your city, definitely for a brand new parent, look at the home visiting programs and other kind of resources. And, and there are there some other nonprofit organizations you have um, from a national perspective, First Candle, um, oh. That would be one that you would look at. Yes, it was formerly the National Sits Alliance, but now is First Candle. First Candle, that's news um, to me. Okay, yes, good. and that is that's a great resource. Also, for other people, professionals, that we never want this to happen. First Candle is a great resource for families who have lost an infant. They have a whole bereavement piece on that too. So I would recommend you go to First Candle's webpage as well, and of course. Ours, Global Infant Safe Sleep Center, and that's, of course, www.gisscente.org. Um, again, we are really focusing on vulnerable populations, looking at communities of color, uh, providing resources. We have a great campaign called Change a Tradition, Change a Position, who are targeting grandparents. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. All of that and wonderful resources here that you have given us as well. But say, everybody, look at, you know, this happens every single week. We have really good guests. We learn so much. I've learned a lot in this show. And I guess in some ways, I feel a little badly that we've still got a lot of work to do. But on the other hand, I am very encouraged that we've got so much better information now than we used to have and certainly better resources. And most certainly, we have Dr. Stacy Scott, who is in a primary position position to be able to make all of this better by the time that uh, next year rolls around or next decade rolls around, we certainly will be doing better. So, Dr. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Alrighty. And everybody, just remember, I will be back next week with yet another guest and another topic. Don't miss it. But in the meanwhile, I'm Marie Biancuzzo. Just remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.